All right, it's good to see people being safe but welcoming one another. That's always good to see. As Pastor John said, my name is Paul. I'm one of the pastors here. Have you ever been asked, where are you from? Yeah? You know, you, yeah, all the time. That's right, John. Yeah, you probably get that more than often with your accent for sure. And I know you have, right? Because we all have these conversations where we meet somebody new and we start, a, we start talking, we start introducing ourselves, and people will ask us, hey, where, where are you from? Now, it could mean like, where are you from? Are you from another country, from another place? Or it could simply mean like, which part of the city do you live in? Are you in Stonebridge? Are you in Eastview? Are you in College Park? There's only three I know, so I'll just name them. I'm bad at directions and stuff. But... Um, we ask people where they're from because it's important for us to know and get an idea and get a picture who we're talking to. It's a question we ask because he helps us shape a picture of anyone we meet. Now behind me, just in a second, you'll see a whole bunch of logos go up, and some of you may know them. Now these logos, of course, are, um, are companies that you might have seen advertised on TV, on radio. Or maybe you, even maybe you were even talking at home to your, uh, to your friends or to your partner, and you're talking about um, where you're from or where your family was from, and all of a sudden these things start appearing on your social media as if somebody's listening. And, uh, and they, of course, if you don't know what they are, these are, of course, DNA tests that you can purchase and learn about your heritage. You can learn about your family origins, your nationalities, and, and doing this, of course, helps you map your family lineage. It helps you understand your family migrations, immigrations, history, things that happened around them. It may, you may be surprised to find out that you have a nationality you never even knew was part of your background. And it's really interesting what these tests do. And I'm just going to look at one of the more, more popular ones, Ancestry DNA. You might have heard it on TV. But they say in their, on their website, on their, on their About Us page, and says this, Ancestry DNA gives you much more than just places where you come from. We connect you to the places in the world where your story started. From unique regions to living relatives. And I just want to zero in on that one line. We connect you to where your story started. See, where your story started is important because it gives us a sense of who we are. A sense of what makes us, a sense of what makes me, well, me. Those of you that know me know that I often share that I am, um, an, I well, I'm an immigrant to Canada. I mean, it's many years ago, but many years ago I was a new Canadian, and my kids remind me that I'm not very new anymore. Thank you for laughing. Somebody else made that comment in the back when we were meeting and praying, and I said, you know, I'm a new Canadian. They said, you're not new. I was like, oh, man, I won't name who said that. I may look in that direction. Anyways, I talk about my story of origin because it's an important marker of why I am the way I am. It, it, it tells people why I do the things I do because it can be explained. Like, for example, those of you that don't know, I, my family was, or I was born in Ukraine, in Kiev, in the capital of Ukraine. It was Soviet Union that time. And as we look at our photographs from that time, you'll notice that none of us smile in the pictures. So often, when, you know, when I, when I met Jessica, who's now my wife, 
and we would take pictures together. She would ask, why aren't you smiling? I said, what do you mean? I'm just looking normal. See, that, that little thing explains, explains who I am and where I come from. My country of origin, my, my birth family, my past has shaped me to see the world in a certain way. Now, by the way, there's actually even dog DNA tests. So if you want to know why your dog is the way it is, you can look into that. But anyways, the success of these DNA and family lineage tests, the, the market, the success of this market speaks of our obvious desire to know who we are and where we come from. In fact, it's so important to know where we come from that counselors and psychologists will often do a genogram when they get to know you. And if you're not sure what a genogram is, it really is just a, a little bit more complicated family tree that looks at all the stages in as far back as you can remember and tries to find patterns in your family that are repeated. Good patterns and negative patterns. It's a way of knowing who you are. And research shows that that knowing your background and where you come from can help us develop a strong sense of our core identity. It helps us to know who we are. It also helps us understand our desire for attachment, for belonging and connection. You see, relationships we form with people can be incredibly durable the more we discover about our past. This actually helps us to develop greater connections as we go forward. Have you ever thought about that? that understanding your past will actually help you develop connection. Knowing our family past, knowing our family past helps us find our connection. Learning the history of our ancestors helps us understand our core identity, helps us gain connection, and it also helps us gain great understanding of the challenges they faced. And it often inspires great love and compassion for flaws and mistakes that we see in our past, in our families. And when we see all those flaws and mistakes in our background, we begin to build compassion. We begin to build understanding because we say, well, that's, that's actually my family line. It's no longer somebody removed making these mistakes. You're part of those mistakes and flaws. So you can't help but build your identity. You, have, you can't help but build connection. And knowing your past develops compassion in you. Looking at our story of origin helps us also to see patterns of overcoming failures, surviving hard times. These stories teach us that life is not easy, that pain happens, that inequality existed and exists. But despite the trauma, despite the difficulties, despite the wounding we see in our family's past, we see recovery. We see people even triumph over really hard times. So it helps us develop resilience in our life. It helps us develop identity, connection, compassion, and resilience. The search also allows us to see ourselves in a larger picture of the world and history, giving us a sense of selflessness. We, like our past family, play a part in the world for better or for worse. So we gain all these helpful attributes just by looking back into our history. And finally, I would say research, and there's many more things, but finally, I would say research shows us that knowing your roots, where you come from, is important because our family history helps us see past events, which unfolded both on a large scale and on a personal scale. Seeing this allows us to contemplate the enormity of humanity while also contemplating our personal part that we play in the world. The ordinary and extraordinary parts our family journey helps us develop self-worth. 
helps us understand that we play a part, that we are part of a story. What I'm saying is the rise of this, or, of this market of looking at our past is no surprise. Something in us is searching for meaning and purpose, shaped by the reality that we came from somewhere. And if we came from somewhere, then we are going somewhere. We want, we want to know why we are the way we are, why we act the way we act, and what is our purpose in this place. This reality is embedded in who we are as humanity. It really is. Even the stories we like to tell or imagine or read or watch or speak speaks to these desires. Think about some of the biggest sellers in the last little while in books or movies. Now, I'm not here to tell you this is a good book or a good story or a movie, but think about the big sellers. Harry Potter. It's a story of a boy who seems to be an orphan living with an abusive little family system that's not really his parents and seems like this is his lot in life till what happens? He realizes he's part of greater story and his family has actually extraordinary part to play in the world and realizing his history. I don't really know the book. I just kind of Googled it, but it's a bestseller. So if I'm butchering it a little bit, know that I just kind of Googled it. But it's a bestseller for a reason. There's a, there's a guy who has a very ordinary story, actually very abusive story, and realizes he's part of something greater and grander and bigger than himself. What about Star Wars? Again, I'm not an expert on Star Wars, but Luke Skywalker, right? Same situation. Uncle and aunt. Where's Donnie? He'll help me if I get it wrong, right? Pretty ordinary life. He has these gifts. He's not sure what to do with it. Kind of seems like a dead-end little planet that he's on, and then he realizes he's part of something way greater than himself. These stories are examples of what draws us to something, that there has to be something more, and our story has to play a part. We're drawn to these, what seems ordinary lives, but that are called to something bigger. Something in us cries out for something more than just everyday routines. Now six, now, six weeks ago, we discussed the attributes of God. We looked at God, that he's just, that he's a consuming fire. We looked at God as a, is love, that God is able, that he's jealous for us, that God is Lord, and that God is home. We looked at the reality of who God is because we, who we believe God is will determine how we live. It will determine how we understand and perceive ourselves. It will determine how we live our lives. The world around us will be shaped by how and who we think God is. Today, looking at our story, I want us to unpack a mind-boggling reality that God is the Alpha and the Omega. Now first, what does that even mean? Well, Alpha is the first letter in the Greek alphabet. In fact, that's where we get the name alphabet, right? Alpha is the first letter, the second one is beta, alpha, beta, so like they didn't want to say all the letters, so they just said, hey, the first two alphabet, those are the letters. That's where we get that name from. So alpha is the first letter, and omega is the last letter of the Greek alphabet. And in the book of Revelation, this amazing book of the Bible, we see John receiving a revelation from God. And in the, in the first verses, even in the, in the first chapter, John shares with us, he says, I am the alpha and omega, says the Lord God, who is, who was, and who is to come, the almighty God proclaims that he is the Alpha and Omega. What John is saying, and what this phrase means, is that God is literally all there is. 
This phrase from Greek literally indicates completeness. That God is complete. This expression of completeness for God is a turn of phrase that was more common to the original readers. It's similar to us saying, I know, I know this book from A to Z, or A to Z for our American friends. For example, this, this, this is kind of like, I know it all. I'm complete. That's kind of the phrase. And even the, the Hebrews use this, the Jewish people use this uh, phrase as well. Their alphabet, the first letter is actually Aleph. And the last letter of their alphabet is Tau. And there was many expressions that they would use all the time to express this completeness. The rabbis, the teachers of the Jewish community would say things like, Adam, the first man, he disobeyed the law. He disobeyed the purposes of God. But Abraham, the guy who God called, whose family God called, who represents God in this world, well, Abraham, unlike Adam, kept it complete from Aleph to Tau. It was a very common expression. They would use it. There was another one they would use. God had blessed Israel from Aleph to Tau. He was with them, before them, in them, and had planned going forward. So Alpha and Omega, this expression indicates that God is absolutely complete. He has in himself what one English biblical scholar from Cambridge in the 1800s, H.B. Sweet, said, God is the Alpha and Omega. He's complete. He is the boundless life which embraces all and transcends all. Embraces all and transcends all. The Bible and its other authors keep revealing to us that God is completeness, completeness inside time, inside creation, and outside of time, and outside of creation. He's the beginning and the end. He's completeness. He's all there is. In fact, this is why when Moses meets God and in the burning bush, if you know the story, and he asks God, what's your name? What do I tell people who you are? God simply says, I am that I am. I'm all. I'm complete. God is the I, I am. I'm not even sure sometimes when I talk about this how to wrap my head around this. That God is revealing to us these all things. He's complete. He's in, before us, in us, and after us. That God reveals to us, very importantly, in our stories, that he is the beginning. Think about that. We trace our beginnings to our parents, grandparents, great-grandparents. We look at these DNA tests. We want to know where we come from. But eventually, the more we go back, eventually, does it, do we come from nothing? Where does it go? How far back can you go till it stops? What is before that beginning? Was there ever truly nothing before something? And if there was, how does something come out of nothing? And I mean completely nothing. No atoms, no space dust, nothing. I mean, it can really bend your mind the more you think about it. It did for me this week when I was thinking about that. What came before that? I was, and one of the philosophers, Aristotle, in his book, Twelve of Metaphysics, described this idea of something, cause and effect, really, right? Everything is put into motion by something. So something puts something else in motion, puts something else in motion, puts something else in motion to have what we have today. But if we go backwards, Aristotle would say there was something, there was an unmovable mover who put everything else in motion. There was something that existed to put everything else into existence. Others see a reason for this unmoved mover to exist because the clues in our universe uh, show us that something somewhere shaped us. There's a cause and effect in everything in the universe. Uh, 
Now, Francis Collins, an American scientist who discovered the genes associated with a number of diseases and led the Human Genome Project, put it this way. The universe began with unimaginably bright flash of energy from a small point. That implies that before that, there was nothing. He says, I can't imagine how nature, and in this case, the universe, could have created itself. He continues, at the very fact that the universe had a beginning implies that someone was able to begin it. And it seems to me that had to be outside of nature. Francis Collins concluded this, this scientifically driven search eventually led him to faith in God. Everything we know in this world is contingent and it has a cause outside of itself. For that to be true, there has to be a creator, the beginner, the unmovable mover from whom our story starts. Here's where we come to the pages of Scripture. Because when we come to the Bible, we see that God reveals himself through, a, uh, reveals himself through the Bible as the creator. But a creator who's personal, who's caring, who's attentive, who's present, who's loving, who was before anything existed. God is the Alpha and Omega. He's completeness. He's the beginning and the end. He's the beginning of our story, and he's the ending point of our story. He's the goal for whom and through whom all things are made. So I kind of drew a big picture of God here. And you may be thinking, okay, cool. He's the beginning. He's the end. We search for our meaning. We look back into our history. But so what? What does this all mean? Well, if God is for whom all things are made and through whom all things are made, our search of, for origin and lineage ultimately rests in who we think God is. Because if he's the beginning, our story must begin with him and in him, which also means it's leading us to an end in him and with him. If all things in life in the world are fine-tuned to point to God, then ultimately all things are going to return to him in the end. Everything is moving us to this final ending in God and with God. This reality should make us ponder about how we should live our lives. If God is complete, if all things are moving from him in us to him, it should challenge us about our life. The fascinating part to me is not only is God the completeness of life, but the fact that he, and we spoke about this last week a little bit, but the fact that he's present and active, he's completeness, but he's here and present. He's limitless, and yet the beginning and the end shows up by limiting himself in the person of Jesus Christ. You see, our origins, our story then is located in God who is willing to limit himself so that we could have a beginning. He's willing to limit himself that we could have an end with him. So for the next little bit, I just want us to look at the, this kind of more popular, more famous, maybe more well-known psalm. Now, I love psalms because they are songs, they're prayers, they're cries, they're declarations people make to God and about God. And they make them in a variety of circumstances. And they're often very raw, very real. They're speaking through pain. They're speaking through disappointment. They're looking for God's presence. 
in their suffering. And they're so raw and real. And I, I think sometimes because they're translated into English, we sometimes lose the pain that's written in Psalms. But more than that, we lose the, the emphatic truth the psalmist is trying to make. And I love Psalms because the very nature, they're able to hold truth in a way other literary, literary styles can't. Now, one of the more well-known Psalms is Psalm 139. If you have it, if you have your Bible, you can open to it. It's going to be on the screen as well. But we're going to look at, through this Psalm. It reads, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my laying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. You see what's happening here? God knows all there is to know about you. He knows your core identity. Our search for who we are and where we are going starts with God. Your desires, your hopes, your dreams are fine-tuned with a God who is so complete, who is the beginning and the end, and who knows you inside out. And here's an amazing part of it. He knows you inside out. He knows, before what, you, he knows what you're going to say before you say it. He knows you, and his response to knowing you is not rejection. He knows all of you, the things that you don't tell other people. And the Alpha and Omega's response to you is love. Let's keep reading. The psalmist writes, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I make my bed... You are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness, I want, to, I want you to hear this, even the darkness will not be dark to you. That night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. The author's crying, there's no place I can be hidden from your view. In this section, the psalmist reminds us that there is nowhere in the universe that God will not be present to lead you, to hold you. There's no place too dark for God, no place too hard for God. There's no guilt or shame that removes us from him. Nothing is too dark for God's love for you. Nothing. God's movement is towards you. The unmovable mover is motivated by love to be there in your darkest, hardest moments. It will not be too dark for him. Just like our research, the psalmist is recovering our connection to him. Our core identity is that he knows us and he will not leave us. We are connected to him. Let's keep reading. For you created my inmost being. 
You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know the full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was wooing together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I'm still with you. You even saw and loved me before I was born. There's just so much happening in this little psalm. The Lord sees and knows you and knows you and knows, uh, knows me even before we were born. He knows and creates and forms and is active mover in the creation of us. The psalmist realizes and wants us to know that even before our mother knew she was pregnant, God was already showing his care for you showing us his compassion knowing our identity connecting to us that we can't hide can't go anywhere from him and showing his compassion for us awake or asleep you are with us god you're you are loving and kind and you take great care to knit us and to be with us this unimaginably mysteriously large god of all things is also a personal God in his love and compassion for the entirety of humanity, but also for you and I. He's a personal God. Now, the next part of the passage is a little bit harder because at first read, it comes across as vengeful. But let's be careful and understand the context here. The author says, If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord? And abhor those who are are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them as my enemies. The psalmist is crying out against the injustice he sees in the world. The chaotic world of bloodthirsty and murderous hearts. Those who don't know God for who he is. And Psalms is crying for resilience. He's saying, God, there's evil and suffering, and those who abuse and create suffering are all around me. Remove it. I hate bloodthirsty. I hate murder. Well, who shouldn't hate murder? But with you, God, I will overcome. Verse 23, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. I'm not hiding anything, God. See my life. See that I'm not like those who abuse others. See that I recognize your love and work around me. See that my heart wants to live for you. See that I am selfless in my actions, that I want to be like you. And finally, we read, see if there's any offense, see if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting Now, some translations say, lead me in the way, lead me in the ancient ways. The psalmist recognizes our story, who we are, will only find hope and meaning and self-worth in the everlasting ancient ways of God. In the same way we want to know where we come from, 
The psalmist is reminding us that, that our core identity, that our connection, our compassion, our, our resilience, our self-worth, our, our selflessness can only be fully fulfilled and realized when we understand that our beginning and our end is in the one who is the beginning and the end. The psalmist recognized that nothing else in this world could fulfill him. Nothing else could fill that void except knowing that God is good and he's complete and he's for him. Let's just be a little bit honest now. Maybe you today have tried something else to fill you, something else to fulfill you. Maybe you looked for identity and wealth. Maybe you looked for connection in the arms of intimate partners. Maybe you looked for compassion and approval in approval of others, in resilience, in pettiness and sarcasm, for selflessness in actual selfishness. Maybe you looked for self-worth in or through authority. And maybe you have found that none of those things are actually fulfilling you or helping you. In fact, they're destroying you at the very core. And maybe you are wondering, what is the point of it all and what's the end game? Is it even worth it? But if God is the Alpha and Omega, then where you come from is from a gracious, loving, vast, and complete God who is personal and loving and who knows you inside out before you were even born and says, I love you. And knows all the things you're going to do. And all the mistakes you've ever done. And all those things you try to fulfill your life with. And says, I still love you. Who reaches into the depths of darkness to love you. A God who is not petty or angry. Because he's the beginning and the end. And his completeness is completely understood in love. Which means you belong to love. Your origin story is a story of love. You were always meant to be known, to play a part, to be a carrier, to be a mover of that same love. The unmovable mover is love and puts things in motion into this world so that love could be known. Your purposes, your fulfillment will only be realized in love. And if God is the Alpha and the Omega, friends, if he's the beginning and the end, we can trust him because he holds our beginning, but he also holds our end. Completely wrapped in love. He has the final say, even if our beginnings are hard, even when we make wrong choices, even when we stray, he holds and reaches out. There's no depths you can hide from him. There's no places you can run away to. He reaches and looks for you. The unmovable mover moves towards you in compassion and love. Apostle Paul puts it this way in the book of Acts. For in him we live, and in him we move, and have our being. Friends, are you tired of looking for fulfillment everywhere else? Are you wondering why but your story is the way it is? And you keep wondering, well, what, is, it, is it my parents that shaped me this way? Is it, is it my birth country that shaped me this way? Is it, is it the bad stuff that happened along the way? Well, sure, it's those things. 
but it's also the fact that your story has always been started at or began with God. And maybe you thought, you know what, I've done so many things in my life and I've tried to fill these spots in my life with these other things and, and, I, and I don't know, I, I don't want to know the end because maybe God is mad at me. Maybe you think of him as rubbing his hands, waiting to get a hold of you, to judge you. That's not the God of the Bible. It's not the God of the Bible, despite of somebody, what somebody might have told you. God is complete from beginning to the end. And he's moving all things, and he's, he's moving all things in love towards him. I'm going to pray twice today. First, just to thank God for being our story, for being our beginning, our lineage, our origin story. And then I'm going to ask you to consider to pray if you've never realized that God is so complete and his story is so great and so large, and that your beginning actually rests in him. And I'll invite you to pray with me a second time. And if that's you, I'll invite you to raise your hand. But first, let's just pray and thank God that he is our beginning. Father, we thank you that you're so large and so vast and so complete that it's even hard to understand or put into words. But what we do know is that you are the beginning and our story starts with you. And our story is meant to carry with you to the end. And so you pursue us. You wait on us. You put people in our lives. You surround us. And you wait for us to realize that the only thing that can fulfill us is your presence in our life. You are the end. You are the end. We thank you for that, God. We thank you for this amazing truth that you are the Alpha and the Omega. And that your beginning and end is completely wrapped in love. Moving us to grace. Moving us to a fulfilled life. We thank you for that, God. And we honor you. We praise in your name. Amen. Now, we'll, why don't we just keep our heads bowed and eyes closed. And just take a moment, if you have never done this, or maybe you never thought of God in this way, that he's just so complete and so great, that he's the start of everything, and he's going to be the end of everything, that the new Jerusalem, the new heavens, and the new earth are all going to be completed in him and through him. Or maybe you're returning, and you're just wondering, God, is this true that you really love me, and there's nowhere I can escape you, and that you're not petty, and that you just want to offer me this life of love and grace? If you've never asked God, or if you just want to recommit today, we just take a moment and just raise your hand. Just take a moment to say, God, I believe you're the Alpha and Omega. Yeah, I see you. Yeah, thank you. You will only be fulfilled in the completeness of God, who's our beginning and our end. Yeah, I see your hand. Thank you. Thank you. He loves you be even before he created you. He knew you. He knit you. He knew everything you would do, and he still loves you despite of anything that you've gone through. In fact, he wants you. If you want to know this God, would you raise your hand? Yeah, thank you.
I'm just going to pray for those of you that raised your hands. Thank you for making that declaration to stand that you want the Alpha and Omega to be the Lord of your life. That you want to enter your story that you've been called into right before you were even born. God, I thank you for the people that raised their hands. I thank you for those that are wrestling with this idea of beginning and end and completeness and love. God, I ask for your spirit to fill them. If you raise your hand, you can say these words, God, I want you to be the Lord of my life. Would you lead me and guide me? Would you forgive me from things in ways I lived away from you? And would you help me begin this journey with you? Praise in your name. Amen. Amen. Now, if you prayed this prayer, make sure you let somebody know. We want to pray with you. We want to gift you a Bible. We want to be connected in your core identity with the Alpha and Omega who loves you so deeply, who wants you and cares for you.